0: The Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning. Have you ever been in a moment where you had to think back to how you got there? That it wasn't random or coincidental, but that something actually began that journey that you found yourself on? My time at the lakes this summer caused that to happen for me. The second week of summer, we took 25 middle schoolers up to Hume Lake Christian Camp, and we watched as God drew himself to them. And then three weeks ago, we went to Shasta Lake with our high schoolers, and we watched again how God moved miraculously in the lives of our students. And there was something that happened at each of these lakes this summer that caused me to to be drawn closer to God. Leading up to Hume Lake, there were a couple students that the leaders and I sensed might accept Christ during that week. And so we sat back and we got to watch in anticipation of what God was going to do in them. And like response night on house votes, Hume Lake does something similar, where at the end of the week, the speaker will invite those who accepted Christ for the first time to stand up. But at Hume Lake, they actually do have fog machines and dim lights and soft piano music playing. It's a very experience experience, I would say the least. So during that response time, one of the students that we sensed would stand up did stand up to accept Christ. And as leaders, we were grinning with excitement and joy. And after my conversation with her that night, my mind jumped to all of the youth groups and all the events she had come to that led up to that moment. The girl um, that committed her life to Christ, this is what she said. She said that she wanted to commit to living like Christ, to serving others the way Jesus did, and to loving people how he did. But her story didn't just begin in the Hume Lake Chapel that night. It wasn't because of the fog machines or the soft music that she gave her life to Christ. Her story began nine months ago at youth group, and we're going to talk more about her later. At Houseboats, the messages focused on the gospel of Mark. So during our two-hour solo time, we were encouraged to read the book of Mark, And let me just say, that's a great idea. If you have never, or you can't remember the last time you sat down and read one of the Gospels or all of the Gospels, I would encourage you to do that. We get so wrapped up, myself included, in theology and practice that we forget of the miracles of Jesus and the person of God. So during this solo time, I was reading Mark and I was taking advantage of two quiet hours away from 100 high schoolers. And so I (laughs) kind of dozed off in the sun. But when I was reading Mark, uh, there was something that stuck out to me in Mark 2 about how God had worked in the lives of our students, and especially that middle school girl at Hume Lake. It was as if a light bulb went off in my mind and, and showed me that God has always been in the business of using us to bring others closer to him, that he's always in the business of relationships. So this morning, my invitation to you is to come and see Last week we were sent out with the call, go and tell. Go and tell others of what God has done in you and through you. And this morning we will see that we are called to come and see who God is and bring others with us. We'll see in Mark 2 of four faithful friends and one humble paralytic and what happens when they chose to fix their eyes on Jesus. So would you open with me to Mark 2 on an app or an iPad on your app or in your Bible? page 837. And in February, Pastor Rick preached on this passage as well, but God focused my attention so much so on this this specific story that I felt compelled to share it again. And I also copied last week's idea of a doodle section in your bulletin. So if you do want some crayons, we still have those here, and intern Maddie is ready to pass them out. Uh, It's fun to shake things up, and I know for our middle school students that are in the main service this morning, they need some interactive learning to keep them paying attention. There are some middle schoolers on the wing, Maddie, so she'll make her way around and get you some crayons. But let's pray as we begin. Lord God, through your written word and the spoken word this morning, we submit our hearts and our minds to you, God, that you would transform us inwardly and reveal to us what you have for us this morning amen all right mark chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 and when he that's Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room not even at the door and he was preaching the word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men all right, already we have this lively scene. Jesus is returning to Capernaum, his home base, which was most likely Simon Peter's house. But he doesn't get the R&R time that we all long for after our summer travels and vacations. No, he, his name has been circulating. People know who he is. So as a local celebrity, people swarm to him, to see him, to hear him. And as much as they could, they flooded this first century home. And I've stood in one in Israel when I went in January. And let me explain. This picture was taken in a city called Katsrin. And it was a first century city that they rebuilt to give you a feel for what it would have been like to live there, how to make olive oil, how to make bread, what the homes looked like. And part of that was that we had to dress up in order for it to feel authentic. (laughs) So this is an example of the home. It's one small room, maybe fitting 50 people maximum, with another small bedroom a staircase up. Anyways, in this one small room, there would have been people spilling out the door and in the windows and gathered there were the sick and the dying and the broken and the skeptical, all sharing the same space. And in this crowd of people rushing to be near Jesus, there were four men carrying a paralyzed friend. And the text doesn't give us their story or their background, but we can start to imagine that maybe they had work that day. Or maybe they'd already planned to go early and get a good seat to see Jesus. Or maybe they weren't even friends at all. They didn't know each other. We can't be certain. But what we do know is that they made sure they made a way to get themselves and to get their friend to the house. But by the time they arrived, it was full. It was over capacity. Can you imagine how disappointing that is? They had this choice. They could just give up or they could get creative. The odds were stacked against them. We look at this scene and we think, what would we do? At least they tried. We give ourselves a pat on the back for at least trying. I know I've felt that way. You invite someone to church or to an event, and they say they already have plans. So it's easy to just say, eh, I tried. I did what I could. But the friends didn't give up, and they didn't get discouraged. And that's a lesson I've had to learn over and over again in ministry. When we go to camp um, for Hume Lake, I'm the trip leader, and that comes with a lot of responsibility, right? We're taking kids to the mountains, and parents are expecting us to bring their sweet, sweet, precious babies home without a scratch on them. But also their spiritual growth, we're hoping that they grow, and so as the trip leader, I carry this responsibility with me. Is the camp speaker, are their messages going to hit at home? Are the skits going to be engaging for our students? And how deep will the small groups go with 10 to 13-year-old kids at 10.30 every night after a full day of activity? We can probably imagine how that went in the guy's cabin. I don't know, but the girl's cabin was still slow. But it's easy to get discouraged by all these bumps along the way, but God showed me Continually that despite the sugar highs and the exhaustion and the sunburns and the bus delays, that he was in control and that he had prepared each and every one of his children to experience him at camp that week. So when things don't work out, and I'm going to tell you now they probably won't always work out, don't get discouraged and don't give up. Let's keep reading in verse 4. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. This one tiny verse, verse 4, holds so much. They schemed this plan, a risky plan. They would have had to have a ton of effort and commitment and strategy. It would have upset a lot of people and been a huge embarrassment if nothing came of this situation. Tearing apart someone's roof isn't just intrusive to their life, but it's messy, The the houses back then were made with roofs of sticks and mud and dirt and wood all compact together. And so has anyone been on a construction site before? Yes, okay, I have. And someone let me sledgehammer a wall. I don't know why, but they they made me wear goggles and a mask and they cleared the area of other people for safety reasons and because I had no idea what I was doing with a sledgehammer. But I was prepared and there was a plan and there were tools. But the men that were carrying the paralytic, they weren't prepared, and the people in the home with Jesus had no idea what was coming. So I need a volunteer this morning who's going to help us see what it would have been like back then to maybe been in that situation when Jesus was tearing down the house. And if nobody raises their hand, I'm going to pull my intern James, because, OK. Elijah, yeah. Thank you, Elijah.) All right. Elijah, have that mic, and you're going to read a really important message. You're going to read Genesis 1. You're actually going to read it from this step right here. I know. Okay, so you're going to start reading, and I want you to just focus as much as you can on just what you're reading. From the beginning. From the beginning. And then I want you guys to focus on Elijah. Don't worry about what I'm doing or what might be coming next as a house is being torn apart in front of you. Okay? You good, Elijah? Okay, you're going to be fine. <laughs> like I said, things just might get a little messy. No sledgehammers involved, I promise. In the beginning, God created the and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Yeah. And the darkness was over the face of the deep and the... What the heck?
1: Okay, uh,
0: and the darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of the... God was hovering... <laughs> I know, it's so distracting. All right, give Elijah a hand. Okay, let me hear. Elijah, was that, was that difficult for you to focus on these important words from scripture? Yeah. Yeah. Were you more interested in what I was doing? No. <laughs> no. Okay. Was it hard for you guys to focus? Yeah. yeah. It was hard for me to focus. Okay, thank you, Elijah, for being willing to get messy. Right, the friends, they knew who Jesus was. They knew that there were probably important religious leaders there. Everyone squished in patiently waiting to hear from Jesus. And then dirt falls on your head. And then maybe some chunks of mud and wood. And you would have been irritated and bothered. And I would have wanted to send someone out to stop these men. Because what Jesus had to say was so important. But none of that mattered to the friends. They kept digging and digging. Their hearts and their minds were set on bringing their friend to Jesus. And they were willing to do whatever it took. Let's stop at nothing to bring others to Jesus. And I just want to point out one thing about the paralyzed man, because his role is also very important here. I believe he must have had to humble himself immensely in order to let his friends bring him literally to the feet of Jesus. One thing was trying this idea of bringing him to the house and maybe Jesus would see him, but it was another thing entirely to use whatever means necessary and then to lower you through a roof. I had a friend who became a paraplegic in high school. And he was a self-sufficient teenager. He didn't want to receive any help from anyone else. But when it was time for graduation, um, where we graduated had steps. And so if he wanted to enter with his class the way everyone else would in order for his his parents and his friends to see him, he would have had to receive help from somebody. Or he would have had to go around and not enter with everybody else and, and not be seen in this big moment of his life. Without missing a beat, his best friend stood out and said, I'll help him, I'm willing to help him. And for teenage boys, I've never seen such humility in one being willing to stand out from the crowd and help his friend, and the other being willing to receive that help. Sometimes, I think, well, oftentimes, we need to humble ourselves in order to receive the help we need. Be humble enough to let others know your struggles And help them draw you closer to Jesus. It's not too late to receive that help. It's not too late to ask someone and share with them your struggle. Maybe you need to do that today. Let's keep reading in verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus saw their faith. He looked up at these four men who were struggling to control this bed attached to ropes to lower this man gently to the ground, and their faith was noticeable. It could be seen, it could be felt. The boldness and determination to bring their friend at whatever cost to Jesus demonstrates their immense faith. Faith does the unexpected. It gets God's attention. When we have radical amounts of faith, it is noted, and God is waiting and eager to respond and blow us away with his love and his goodness. Our faith, it's not meant to be kept in our back pocket, saved for a rainy day when we think we need extra amounts of faith to get us going. No, it's meant to be bold and center and persistent in pursuit of God. Our faith is the stuff that moves mountains, So it's this over-the-top faith that moves Jesus to forgive this man's sins. And probably to the surprise of his friends who are hanging down through the roof saying, no, 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 Jesus, he's paralyzed. Forget about the sins. We want him to walk. Like, show us that stuff. (laughs) And so our humanness, right, it convinces us that all all that we see is all there is. But God, he knows the real problem. He knows better than anyone else the real problem that, that needs fixing is our sin. I'll put myself in this category. I I bring myself or we bring our friends to church who may be struggling with alcoholism or addictions or a struggling marriage or anger issues, and we believe we know what God needs to do in their life. We say, God, just fix that one area of their life, and then it'll be better. But he knows the real problem. He knows that what needs to happen first is he needs to meet our need of, of our brokenness and our sin, which could, in fact, make a way for the outward addiction and outward symptoms of our sins to be healed. Let's continue. Mark 8, verse 8. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. In the same moment, God deals with the spiritual and the physical. Jesus is right. It is, it's so much easier if he were to just say someone's sins are forgiven than to say, get up and walk in front of all of these people. One is a private, internal matter that's spiritual, and the other is this outward, physical change. But for that culture, the two were interconnected. They believed that if you were sick, it must have been because your sins were great and God was punishing you for something. So in this moment, Jesus walks out on a limb in order to legitimize and demonstrate who he is, that he has power and he has authority. And so the tension in this scene we can think of as it's so, you can feel it, right? The, the religious leaders are looking at Jesus, angry and frustrated that he would even equate himself with God. And the man is looking up at Jesus, wondering if today was the day he would be healed. And the people are looking on, probably very nervous of this situation, and the friends in anticipation of seeing their friend healed. An imperfect peace with a simple instruction. Jesus' power to heal and his authority to forgive sins are justified. Just imagine that. Imagine that. A guy who could not walk, you saw him lowered in through the roof, is suddenly able to walk right before your eyes. Don't let that pass over you as if it were a fairy tale or folklore. That is real. That is a real man who encountered the living God, and it all leads to a life restored and renewed. And in the end, all glory goes to God. Let's start to expect big things from God. When we expect God to show up, we begin to pray with anticipation, and our faith moves us to be open to act where God needs us to. For almost um, two years now, a boy has been coming to our middle school youth group um, through the invitation of a friend. And he is like one of those cool kids, laughs a lot, is really funny. And I've watched over time how he has continued coming to youth group with that one friend, and then how he started listening a little more intently to the messages. And then he would only come on Wednesdays, but slowly he started showing up on Sunday mornings by himself. But when that initial friend that invited him to come to youth group dropped out of our Hume Lake trip, I was just waiting for, his, for this boy to drop out. I was expecting him to, to drop out as well. But he didn't. And so in that moment, I, I felt God must have something planned for him. God must be expecting to meet this, this boy at, at Hume Lake. So that moment came. We were eager. We were excited. It was that response time, the fog machine. Remember that? OK, so we were there. And I, I that boy that I expected to stand up, he didn't. And I looked for him. And I looked amongst all the kids that stood up. And he was just sitting there. And I couldn't understand because he had been listening intently, looking like he was engaging with what the speaker was saying. How could he not stand up? So the kids who stood up, they they stayed behind with leaders, and I hung back to talk to someone, and everyone else left for open camp where they could roam and play and have fun. And Luke happened to be at the coffee shop at that time, and that boy walked up to him and in middle school boy fashion said, like, hey, Luke, like, you know that stuff the speaker was talking about, Jesus and the cross and all that? Can we maybe... Talk about that later in the cabin. And Luke, if you know Luke at all, this is just like him. He says, no, we can talk about that right now. (laughs) And I'm glad he did because in that conversation and this eighth grade boy, his sincere prayer to God, there was a party in heaven for the faith of our leaders and the faith of this new believer. And even the faith of that boy who invited him to his very first youth group. You see, we expected God to move and he did but in his own way, in his own timing. And like that eighth grade boy, the, the story of I told you about the first girl who accepted Jesus at Hume Lake also began with an invitation. It began with her friend inviting her to youth group. When youth group began last August, there was only one sixth grader coming, and her name was Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was sweet and shy, and, and she would read during youth group, during the like game portion, the hangout, and I could tell she wasn't clicking. She didn't love it. And so I talked to her parents, and they said that she had told them, yeah, you know, there's only one sixth grader. It's just me. I don't really want to go. Like, I, I I don't feel connected. And they encouraged her to stick it out just six weeks. And I don't know if they knew about our stick six motto in youth group then, but it worked. And I think Elizabeth must have felt, well, if I had to go, I might as well make the most of it and invite my friends. So week after week, Elizabeth kept inviting friends until there was just this whole posse of sixth grade girls that took over the sports court outside. And one of those girls that Elizabeth invited was the girl I told you about who accepted Christ at Hume Lake. By Elizabeth bringing one friend after another, it not only changed their lives, but it changed her. Like what was said last week about having a shared story, her story began to be woven with their story and the biblical story, and now they have this shared hope. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, our faith is going to move us to do whatever it takes to bring our friends and our coworkers and our family closer to Jesus. I get to work in student ministries, and I've been on staff here about four years, and I can tell you story after story. We could be here all day, of of lives I've seen transformed in this room. I can see the domino effect of these kids inviting each other and bringing their friends to know Christ and their families to know Christ. And we, as believers, get to participate in that, in that transforming power of God. But who brought you? I really want you to think about that now. Who brought you closer to Jesus? Maybe it was one person, or maybe it was a collection of people throughout your life, But remember that it wasn't random. It wasn't by chance that you ended up here. And maybe it didn't seem like much when they invited you to talk about Jesus or share their story or to an event, but it was purposeful. And who will you bring? Who do you need to persistently invite? We weren't meant to just stay seated in pews or like the people in Capernaum that day with Jesus. We have a responsibility. We gather to grow and we gather to learn and encourage one another, but we have this responsibility to go out and bring others so that they can know Christ and his transforming power. When I was in college, I worked for Young Life, and one of my team leaders during one of our trainings gave me this bookmark, and you each have one in your bulletin today. And It was written by a man, it's a poem written by a man named Sam Shoemaker, and he was a pastor in New York and Pittsburgh a long time ago, and he wrote this poem near the end of his life, and some would say that he wrote it almost as an apology for his ministry. The poem is vivid, and it's descriptive about this role of standing at a door, and that door is the door to God. And how some make it all the way through that door and close to God, and they forget that there are still others out there who can't find the door or are scared to walk through that door. And he talks about how the best place for us to stand as believers is by that door in order to help others find their way in. And as I'll finish with this so the band can come on up. But I'm going to read a section of it, and I would encourage you guys to close your eyes and think about the people that you need to bring that God has put on your heart this morning. Here's the final section. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place, near enough to God to hear him and know he is there, but not so far from people as not to hear them and remember they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them, millions of them, but more important for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I'm intended to put on the latch. So I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I'd rather be a doorkeeper, so I stand by the door. Let's pray. God, your presence dwells in this place, but it also dwells within us. And so I pray this morning for those of us who maybe have gone through that door to meet you and know you. Would you remind us, God, of the the individuals that you want us to reach out to, to help guide to that door. But I also pray this morning for those who are scared of that door, scared of giving their life to you. Would you bring people alongside them, Lord, to guide them, to share their story with, and to bring them comfort? Lord, and as we turn our, our attention to giving of our time and our offerings, Lord, and as we spend time in prayer for one another and as we acknowledge that your spirit is present, God, would you allow us the freedom to worship and lead us to worshiping you better each day? Lord, I pray for the ripple effect. I thank you for the people that have brought these individuals into the sanctuary this morning. And God, I pray that we would be ones who would invite and who would bring And we would get to see and participate in your transforming power in our community. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.